All right. Uh, I got Pavel here. Hopefully he's still here and didn't fall asleep in the green room. Pavel, we got you? Yes, I'm right here. Can you all hear me okay. clear? Uh, yes, yeah. Now, um, I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, there were two Canadians, but now there's only one. Um, having a Detroit Red Wings uh, player <laughs> on your profile might be a little bit of contention here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going good. How about y'all? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. So uh, I want to give folks an idea really quickly of who you are and kind of where you fit into the, the Bitcoin and or the blockchain kind of ecosphere here. Well, I'm a degenerate gambler. Uh, to put <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes. So uh, Scott left. He was the conservative guy. Now we got, uh, you know, we got the let it ride here. This is awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how long have you been involved in uh, crypto and Bitcoin? Uh, well, I actually got my start in 2017 at the literal top. I made my Coinbase account on December 17th, 2017, which if oh. you go... Yep, you go that and look the at top. the chart. Yep, <laughs> top ticked it. <laughs> oh, literally the top, literally the top. And I got sucked in because that's when I was really becoming, you know, get a little political. That's when I was kind of really going full, uh, full blast into anarcho-capitalism, and I was, you know, totally sold on the ideology behind Bitcoin and crypto. And mm. and I, I put in, you know, fortunately I didn't put in too much, and. I only got a little wrecked. Uh, I made money at first, and then I, I got completely destroyed over the following crypto winter. Um, but then I actually made a really good move in 2019 when it was bottomed. I kind of realized that after a year of watching and sort of learning more about the market and the technology, that there was nowhere to go but up from that point. And mm. I basically sold off... Uh, all of my stock because I'm, I'm a young guy i was in my early 20s at the time i'm in my mid my mid 20s now but i sold off all my stock that i had uh like a lot of my birthday money i took all of that and i started trading with it and i got really lucky with my timing in terms of doing that and that's just basically sort of been what i've been doing ever since is just trading and i i went full-time in 2019 because i i i made i got really lucky playing you know that first bounce out of the crypto winter and i had some really good mentors that i met on twitter and that's where i learned everything basically and that's mm. what i do to this day is just i, I trade and you know I, I invest too i have some holdings but you know that's most of my money comes from trading so i i will tell you i feel your pain uh i worked as a prop trader for an off off uh wall street firm for about two years um i i know that brutal agony of getting the very last fill before the thing drops off of the face of the planet. So um, I, I, I feel your pain. I know exactly where you're coming from, at least from your, your start there. Um, I, what would you say your, um, I, I guess, what would you say your, your kind of like your technique is or your methodology? Is it, are you a technical trader? Or are you someone who is basically trading around a core position? Like, what does that look like? Well, I sort of don't have a one style per se. I use, you know, Scott was saying earlier he doesn't like technical analysis. Uh, I do a lot. I use TA quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's not perfect. You know, things can go south. They can change on you. But there is, in my experience, and, you know, there is a pattern to the market, and you sort of can figure out 
you know, where a good place to buy is, where a good place to sell is, just using various indicators. Like my favorite is using exponential moving averages, which are basically mm. just, you know, that's calculated by taking, you know, price over a certain amount of time. And, you know, you can use that for resistance and support zones, you know, basically like res resistance being where it's likely to a sell off is to start and support where it's likely, you know, buyers are going to step in and it's going to bounce or at least start going up from there. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, uh, to be fully honest, you know, most of trading is mental and it kind of depends on what's going on in my life, you know, cause you know, I, unfortunately around, uh, the, uh, time that the market crashed, I found out that, you know, one of my very close family members was diagnosed with cancer and that totally messed up my, I was not prepared. I lost a lot of money uh, going in the few weeks after the massive drop. But, you know, my style sort of just is go with the flow and, you know, use some TA. And basically, like, if if I can get, you know, into the groove of getting a few scalps or playing some swings occasionally, that's just yeah. sort of what I do. You know, okay. and to be to be fully honest, most of I, I really feel like I've, I'm just lucky. Yeah, <laughs> I well, I look it. It it works until it doesn't, right? Um, I have you have you ever messed around with uh, trading bots at all, or is most of what you're doing kind of like manual, you know, technical analysis, and then you're manually pulling the trigger? Yeah, it's it's all manual. It's all me doing TA and sort of just going by gut feeling. Um, yep. I have several friends that use bots, you know, either to var to varying degrees of success, uh, and but. You know, like y'all were talking about earlier with Scott, you know, it really comes down to how you set it up and you have to, you know, you, you got to be really good with, you know, coding and basically being able to figure that out. You know, like yeah. I, unfortunately, that's not my acumen. Yeah. I, so um, when I, when I was a trader, uh, there was the story of the half million dollar hot dog. Um, so there was a guy who was uh, trading oil futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And uh, he was short the market, and he went outside literally for like five minutes to get a hot dog from the hot dog cart that's on the sidewalk. And uh, something geopolitical happened, and the price of oil just shot through the moon, and he got stopped out on all of his positions and literally like lit a half million dollars on fire in one shot, right? Like, um, there's there's all kinds of those stories. Uh, but yeah, you're right. like. To, to to live that life, you have to be dedicated towards like really kind of the nuance of every single kind of like ebb and flow or if you're going to be a programmer, like you have to get in the mix there. Um, let, let's talk a little let's talk a little political. We, we typically don't get like very political. We want to talk about like praxis, but um, I, I'll, I'll flip it to you first, Krim, to get you back into the mix here. Um, are you... Uh, reassured or worried that it seems that politicians have no fucking clue what they're talking about when it comes to crypto. <laughs> Boy, you're just going to lob them over here, yeah. eh? These nice, nice easy questions. You know, um, I am going to probably say, and this may or may not be a popular opinion, um, and, and I'm going to actually have to hop after this. I wanted to stay because I wanted to listen to the DJ because I need to learn some of that. I need to learn <laughs> a little more like YOLO balls out kind of thing, but uh, I'll watch, I'll catch the uh, replay. Yes. But uh, the way that I feel about it um, is that I sort of am experiencing this ridiculous feeling of like schadenfreude or something. I, I'm enjoying the fact that for once we are starting to see normal people who, you know, 
it's not even that they trust the government blindly or that they trust lawmakers blindly, but that mm. things just kind of go along well enough that, you know, you've got a lot, sh a lot of shit going on in your life. You just, if it's mostly working, that's enough for you right now. Yeah. But here we are, we have people in positions of power who are saying and doing exceptionally dumb things. Mm. Um, and anybody who is even not actually that knowledgeable on the topic can see that they're struggling, they're floundering. And it's really important to kind of press that um, because these are the people we've elected to, to guide us and, and to make laws on our behalf and to spend our money. Um, and so it's important to kind of have these things happening that show people, ooh, ooh, the choices that we have right now aren't so great. So what yeah. are we going to do about it? Um, and so it, it's bad in a lot of ways. But I do think that if nothing else, these last couple of years, especially, and yeah, crypto, for the first time, people are starting to see the massive manipulation in the financial system. They're yeah. starting to really understand that there's a whole lot going on that they're cut out of purposefully. Um and kind of seeing that these figures aren't infallible and don't have an actual good plan um, is the first step to kind of thinking, okay, well, if I can't trust them, what am I going to do for myself? How am I going to either change this situation or protect myself knowing that shit is wild? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say uh, maybe I'm heartened um, because if nothing else, like I'm excited again that the entire world is stopped and listening to the fact that we are arguing about crypt, you know, crypto, yeah. uh, in the the most important government in the world. Yeah, yeah, it, it's um, the the to to see the lack of understanding play out in real time is almost. I don't know if the word's cathartic. Um, yeah. But it's like, but it's like you know, the little girl is screaming like they have no clothes, right? Like the 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 emperor is not dressed. Like the the and so there has been, I think, a lot of. Um, direct response just to the threat of them putting in this kind of like stealth amendment in this bill that I think is also really productive. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I'm, I'm also of the mindset where I am a skeptic of all kinds of governmental intervention. So I'm like, God forbid they smarten up and they actually figure out <laughs> a, a, a more intelligible way to go about manipulating this market that we don't want manipulated. Um, mm. But but from that standpoint, yeah, it's a little bit like glass half full, glass half empty um, kind of feeling on on my side. So, um, I what do you what are your thoughts on it, Pavel? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's very heartening to me too because we're at the they fight you stage of you know the first they laugh at you. Uh, then they ignore you, and then they fight you, and then the final stage is you win. You win. Yep. Yep. And you know that's you know the, and like you were saying earlier, Crimson. You know, it's most of them don't really know what the hell they're talking about, which is great for us because that gives us the element of surprise going forward. That you know, by the time they realize what's happening, we're too ingrained in society and we're we're too valuable to regulate away and really screw over. So, you know. That's bullish to me. Yeah. I So, uh, Krim, I know you have to bounce. Um, I do. I'm sorry. Let me give you one last, like, maybe quick question. I, I don't sure. answer quick. I don't ask quick questions. But um, uh, what about uh, coins like Monero or like Pirate Coin? Um, do you think that those are um, going to be able to execute on what their intention is? Essentially, you know, less traceability or at least a little bit more anonymity? 
Yeah, um, I do. And with the caveat that um, I think the end game for sort of the larger crypto space is going to be the most decentralized and the most private. I truly believe that's where we will end up um, with sort of, uh, you know, like I say, this caveat of, you know, Bitcoin, there is something about Bitcoin that I'm going to continue using it. And I actually don't mind that it's not that private. Uh, if you're really just talking about, well, I could trace from wallet to wallet. Like, yeah, you don't know it's my wallet, but yes, yeah. you could. You could, um, you know, practice some coin forensics and follow. But that's the point. No one is hiding. You know, there isn't a, forget a shadowy super coder. There isn't a shadowy super fund manager pushing numbers around in the background, you know, at your expense behind, you know, closed doors protected by a government who's, you know, in on the payola. Instead, no. we're all watching the same transactions. We're all seeing the same thing. We're all agreeing and we're going out and doing what we want with our money in the way that we want to proudly and freely. And mm -hmm. if I want to be anonymous, then I can be. Somebody can certainly see what a specific coin is doing. But if I practice good OPSEC or, you know, I'm mindful of how I use these coins, then my Bitcoin will never be truly like, you know, uh, what would you call the opposite of, you know, private? But I wouldn't be, uh, you know, doxing myself with my Bitcoin. Yeah. You wouldn't wouldn't be out there flapping in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Harder for me, but, you know, it, it's still possible. <laughs> Uh, you know, I do. I do believe that some of these coins will pull away and that privacy with them will be really important. And I yeah. do think the end game of the crypto space will be, like I say, the most decentralization. And for people who want to practice complete privacy, not because they're hiding something, not because they're, you know, the evildoers of the dark web, but because honestly, nobody should care if I'm going down to the corner store to buy a coffee. No one should care and no one needs to know that I'm doing that. I am exchanging value for a service and I and the other person have agreed and that is fine. Um, then that's that that's available as well. And I don't think that's going to change for Bitcoin. And I don't care. I don't want it to personally. Um, mm -hmm. But you can always use more than one tool. And we are going to see this sort of emergence of incredible tool sets to do whatever we want. And that's the exciting part of crypto. Very, so. very exciting. And uh, you actually said a magic buzzword. Um, one of our next co coming episodes, I have to set it up, is an OPSEC episode to talk about mm. operational security. Um, and just what you can do to, if you want to, retain some of your your anonymity or not necessarily kind of broadcast, um, like you said, your your presence or your identity all times. So, um, look, I want to say thank you. I appreciate it. When do you go on uh, MSP Waves next? Is it Thursday night? Uh, it'll be Saturday. I'm uh, I'm working on a contract for a crypto company right now, so I will be taking a quick break this week. But I'm going to flap away in the breeze, uh, and yeah. I will look forward to listening to you and Pavel, because like I say, I am not a trader. I am the stereotypical risk-averse woman. I just stack my sats, and it's worked out pretty damn good. But I, I like hearing the ballsy um you know uh successful traders it's it's fantastic to hear people who can you know have the mental and testicular fortitude uh yeah. to go through <laughs> it. just 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 total just total yep Bye. thanks grim nice meeting See you. Ya. Bye. um all right so uh let's get into it so uh are you trading just uh, one crypto or are you kind of in and out of uh, multiple, Pablo? 
multiple, uh, mostly DeFi tokens is where I trade because that's in, you know, my opinion is like the most disruptive sector and also the most, I think, prone to just going crazy in terms okay. of up only action. Uh, I, most people, they trade Bitcoin or Ether. You know, I actually, funny enough, the thing I trade is actually Chainlink, you know, the link token. Mm. That's, I, funny enough, that's where most of my money has been made is just playing that, uh, which is ironic because the whole chain link, you know, the link marine thing is uh, that, that swing linkers, you know, people that play the market, you get screwed. But for whatever reason, I've just, I'm have good luck with it. And I've, I think I'm just kind of in tune with the chart because I've been watching it for so long. Mm. I does it. So um, to, to draw an analogy, it's not necessarily like one for one, but um, even people that have a shorter time horizon in terms of how long they're holding, um, or, or, you know, what kind of moves they're playing. Um, sometimes they'll do some like technical analysis or I mean, not technical analysis, some fundamental analysis. Like if you're, if you're looking at a stock or something, does the use case or the, the adoption of the actual, uh, crypto really factor into it for you? Or are you a strict technical analysis guy? Well, most of the time it is just TA. So like, even if it is a shit coin, you know, and I, th I feel good about the entry on it, I will take mm -hmm. the trade. Uh, I prefer trading, you know, tokens that have true fundamental value to them because that sort of protects you from those like one off like rug pulls or just terrible events happening to sure. one specific project that say they have a terrible team uh, behind it and mm -hmm. all of a sudden there's a hack because they didn't secure the smart contracts properly yep. and you get completely screwed while you know like obviously like sometimes like most of the market's tied to bitcoin so if the whole market you know bitcoin kind of takes a shit and the whole market you know kind of like follows it you know you get you get you get, you get hit but it's fine it's whatever but you know there's definitely that added risk to trading like pure shit coins especially you know like Uniswap tokens that are, you know, for the most part, just a scam. Yeah. And, and I, I'm looking at the market from kind of like that old hat that I used to wear, and I'm definitely awaiting the day where there's more of a decoupling. Um, I think part of the issue is, and there's still some level of systemic risk because a lot of those tokens are, um, kind of either referring back to Bitcoin or they're at least independently kind of deriving some, some value from bitcoin's uh you know current value so that's something that i'm i'm always kind of looking at is um you know which ones are decoupling and why like if they're decoupling for a reason like the they just the use case falls apart or the adoption is you know i, I think um what xrp was like that at one point in time where apparently at one point in time like uh i think it was xrp that uh i think santander bank right was going to use it for international clearing uh, and then all of a sudden it got um, de-emphasized in terms of that use case. And so it fell off for a while and then it started to climb back up again. But, um, you know, the, the hope for me is that there will be a day where there will be a very robust market where, you know, Bitcoin's down two or three percent. And, you know, some of these coins are rallying because of other dynamics that are behind them, you know. Right. Yeah, I can't wait for that day for each sector of crypto to be fully developed because that's truly going to be a trader's paradise because each market's going to be playing according to its own rules. Yep. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate whenever you have 
great fundamental events coming up for a coin that you're trading. And then all of a sudden, you know, for whatever reason, Bitcoin shits the bed. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. But, you know, like you're saying, I think there's several sectors that deserve their own decoupling from Bitcoin. Obviously, I think smart contracts deserve to be their own thing, like Ethereum, Polkadot, uh, you know, Oracles need to be their own thing, DeFi, you know, NFTs. These are different technologies with totally different use cases. I mean, you know, even like, for example, in tech, you know, Facebook doesn't go down because Microsoft or Apple had a bad earnings report. It doesn't make sense for it to, and it, it shouldn't in crypto. But unfortunately, we're so early, just it's all tied to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is still king. And for good reason, you know, I like Bitcoin a lot. Most people do in crypto. And, you know, I, it's just, I, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating to think about actually as a trader. It's like, oh my God, like it's, it's we always got to keep an eye on Bitcoin. But, yeah, you know, I, I'm definitely very excited for the future. You know, I think it's, it's kind of, there's silver lining in the fact that it is all dependent on Bitcoin because, you know, I think it shows how early we really are to be, you know, in, in this technology, in this sector. And I'm, I'm very excited for the day that we eventually do decouple. Yeah, I, it's, um, and you mentioned, you know, the, the fact that it is really, um, it is or it's becoming, right, uh, a trader's kind of paradise. And a lot of that has to do with transaction fees, right? Like, not specifically with Bitcoin. I mean, the Bitcoin transaction fees are through the freaking roof. But, um, you know, in terms of some of these other coins, the transaction fees are extremely reasonable, you know, fairly low. Um, and, and quite frankly, I can say from my personal experience back in the day, you know, a lot of my would-be profit was chewed up strictly by transaction costs. Um, and so is that something that you've noticed or are those transaction costs beginning to creep up and kind of affect it? Well, they've definitely gotten a little bit better after EIP 1559 because it's, you know, it's, it's nice having a more clear idea of what you're going to be spending per transaction, mm. you know, and I think it's definitely like fees have gotten better over time. Uh, but it's also it's it's kind of frustrating because the times when I'm making the most money is the times that I'm I'm spending the most on fees because that's when the network is, uh, <laughs> you know, most congested because that's, it's you know, that's how, yeah. how it works, supply and demand. Yeah. You know. I, which, which, by the way, we were talking about regulation before, um, is something that they may come after too, because uh, people that are, um, I'll just call them collectivist in their thinking, um, you know, in this ever, uh, you know, this continual search for equality, that is also something that they'll probably target as a reason why um, it's it's you know, not a good proxy for, you know, currency or transactions or anything like that, they'll say, oh, well, if you get stuck during a, you know, a high volume period, you're going to have to pay up, you know, during it. But I mean, for, for folks like you and I, we couldn't give a crap. Like, it just makes sense, right? Like, it's, it's right. practical in terms of the use case. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's definitely something that they might end up keying in on in terms of those transaction fees. But, you know, I can remember paying, let's see, I used to pay seven cents a thousand. Was that right? No, it was, it was seven seven bucks a thousand. Seven bucks a thousand. But the problem was you paid in and out. So mm -hmm. you know, if, if you bought five hundred shares and then sold, you know that's a thousand shares moved, and so that's seven bucks out of your pocket. Um, 
which which at the time actually wasn't that bad because we had just moved away from uh there was a you know I, I again you're mid 20 so i don't know if you necessarily remember this time period but you know the the market used to be mostly market makers so actually human beings um and the market traded in in eighths so it would trade you know 12 and a half cents a time um for this for the stock price and so you were paying that vig on each one of those moves if you know you bought the top end of that you know the top end of that transaction um, and that was essentially the way the market makers made their money once they moved to more decimal trading now you were paying you know each step might be a penny or it might be you know a tenth of a penny which was dramatically better because you weren't necessarily getting nailed with these kind of like you know 12 and a half cent swings all the time but um from that standpoint, the network operators use that as an impetus to increase the transaction fees, which was the the biggest headache that was associated with it. But uh, yeah, no, that, that's one thing that I think is, I think everyone's looking to play out because they see the transaction fees on Bitcoin, which, you know, I, again, um, were coming off of a, a high period of activity where they were kind of astronomical, um, you know, where they're going. Um, what else do you kind of following? So you mentioned a couple of names. You mentioned Chainlink. What else do you kind of look at? Uh, well, I mentioned earlier decentralized finance. So projects like Aave, Synthetics, Bancor, WooTrade. Um, that's basically what I'm focused on most mostly. But I'm slowly getting more excited for the whole concept of decentralized insurance, which I think is going to come after DeFi sort mm -hmm. of you know becomes more you know quote unquote mainstream within crypto. Yeah. Uh, that's really what I'm getting super excited about. And, and so anyone who is a, a lay person and doesn't understand what the implications are for decentralized insurance, what would you kind of describe it as? Um, well, basically, like right now within like the United States, you know, you have so many government regulations, you know, this is the best example I can think of because I'm an American. I'll dox myself, dox myself a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh like, for example, in health insurance, like you can't compete across state lines. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big thing. That's a regulatory burden. There, there's even more. But a, a even bigger one is that a lot of times insurance doesn't pay out. You know, you have to prove a lot of things. And there's a lot of arbitrary decisions made by people, you know, in that structure that you have no way of getting hold of or even knowing they're there. Right. And what decentralized insurance offers is basically a system that is totally transparent because the way smart contracts work is that you can audit them. You can see everything you're agreeing to beforehand. And what the person who's providing the insurance to you has to do is they have to actually provide the insurance to you as stated in the smart contract because their funds are tied to it and they have to pay you out. And that's a huge, huge thing. And I'll just use a personal example. And I think this is part of the reason why I've become more bullish on that concept is that, you know, I mentioned earlier, one of my family members was diagnosed with cancer. Yep. We had a, you know, we supposedly had coverage. Uh, you know, we supposedly had the perfect oncology centers and everything like set to go. Mm -hmm. And there was an issue between the provider and this one oncology center mm -hmm. that was perfect for my family member. And it was it all came down to one person who didn't fully understand some detail that they had in the contract mm -hmm. previously 
uh, with the provider. Yeah. And it complete it it set them back two months, which is freaking ridiculous. It's it's you know I, I thinking about it, it, it. I'm a little emotional thinking about it because you know obviously it's close to me, but sure. that's something that is just unacceptable. It's totally yeah. wrong. And decentralized insurance would fix that because you know from the get go it's like okay here's the agreement that we have with our customer here's the policy and it's going to be paid out and here's the providers like it's it's all set in stone it can't be altered and yeah. that's that's just that's a better system for society yeah that's um you know and and we could get into a a, a gigantic conversation here about you know how health insurance in this country or even something as basic as life insurance is also so convoluted because of um, it, it seems like a trope and so like everyone gets on you know uh, people that are, are more libertarian or anarchist or even the the you know small government Republicans that are out there saying like you know we need to limit and deregulate certain markets it seems like just a talking point but truthfully the, there is an, an immense amount of substance there because a lot of these inefficiencies are created by those regulations it's not created by you know some arbitrary thing that the people are putting in place right it's it's these reactions to reactions to reactions to regulations um and so as someone uh you know i can i can nerd out on insurance all day because that's basically my nine to five um you know as someone who's familiar with say like elected benefits at work anyone who has you know aflac or um uh colonial life is another provider or i'm forgetting another big one that's out there but so um uh, and any anyone that has those benefits that they're typically paying out of pocket for and not necessarily getting their employer to, to chip in a piece that that has a very much uh, uh the the coverage trigger is a lot simpler and so like for instance for your family member if they had a cancer policy it's based off of indemnity meaning if I prove I have cancer, the policy just pays out X number of dollars, right? Um, mm. and, and all you have to do is very simple coverage trigger, right? Doctor says I have cancer, it's been identified, bang, they pay it out, right? Um, very much so analogous to the efficiency of a, you know, a decentralized uh, blockchain-based insurance policy that, you know, again, you can get as crazy as you want with it. So it could be as simple as, you know, I get the diagnosis, I get this amount of money, or, you know, anytime I go to the hospital, I get 500 bucks or whatever to pay for the ER bill or whatever. Right. Um, or like you said, you could, you could build something that's extremely specific in terms of even elaborate setup. So like if I ever do come down with it, like if I want to go to the Mayo Clinic and have this physician and like, you know, I, you can actually build out that coverage trigger in that insurance policy, which is huge. I, I love that aspect of it because, you know, 99% of my job is explaining why something is or isn't covered. And even myself, I'm sitting there going, Holy crap! Why isn't this covered? <laughs> you know, right? Like, right. I it, it just makes sense that it should be, and you know, the person who bought the policy expects it to be as well. You know, but yeah, no, that that's definitely exciting. Um, that that space is fantastic. Have you looked into lending at all? Yeah, the uh, primary lender uh, for crypto is Ave. Mm. That's like that's the main one, and that's the one that I hold a little bit of. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're I. I, this is, I'm going to probably get crucified for this. I am just 
I, my whole uh, involvement in crypto is 95% trading. Uh, yes. So I don't actually get involved with the actual protocols. I don't actually use them. Uh, I should, but I don't. Yeah. Um, you know, but Aave is like the primary lending one, which is, it's very simple to describe, you know, it's like, it's, it's a decentralized lender. So you can put up collateral. And we were actually, we were, we were uh, talking about this in Twitter messages before, hmm. you know, is that we, is the idea that you could, you know, you can use anything as collateral as long as there's someone on the other, the other side of it. Like, for example, you know, using NFTs as collateral, which, yep. you know, obviously, like if you're thinking about an NFT as like an art piece, that's, I mean, you could hypothetically use that, but realistically, you're going to be using real world items that are tokenized as NFTs. Like, for example, like a deed to a house, you know, like say, all right, this is, we'll use, since I'm a de degenerate gambler, we'll use this example. Say you want to, you want to, you want to use your house as collateral to get some Bitcoins to go trade with. Bet the uh, mortgage. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're using an extreme example here, but say that's what you want to do. Like you want to, you want to use that as collateral. Like you take that, go through a decentralized lender. You know, there's, there's more besides Aave, but you know, Aave is the primary one. Yeah, uh, you put up that collateral. If someone on the other side lends you the money, and mm -hmm. you you go out and you uh, you do what you do with it, you know. And if you can't pay it back, well, then they they take ownership of your home. And if you can pay it back, well, good job. Uh, you're a lucky degenerate gambler like me. Yeah, <laughs> I that the um, that's definitely something I want to dig into into the into the future. Um, and so uh, we didn't talk about it with Krim when she was on, but I mean. Um, she runs uh, a, a website or, or a, a D app called NFT Showroom, and that's essentially what it is. It's it's um, a showroom for digital art, um, and each one of them gets tokenized, and you know you can you can buy the NFT for that work of art. And uh, there are now uh, uh, coming into the space places that you can actually use a, a wide variety of different types of NFTs or tokens as that collateral, which is, um, I mean, it's crazy. It's obviously wrought with, you know, uh, again, like buyer beware or whatever, you know, but um, I, I think or it's also lender beware as well, because, you know, if someone sees some value in that NFT and then is, uh, you know, resolute to lend you some crypto or something of value, um, with that collateralizing it, you know, and value is relative. So that person might be more inclined to do it. And then if you made contact with someone else, they wouldn't be as likely because they don't see the value in that, you know, tokenized uh, asset or that NFT that you're holding. So I, I think that's su like super, super interesting. Um, let me ask you this. Let, let's, let's kind of like get back to the trading. So in terms of uh, in terms of like how you're going about this, is this something where like you have a time horizon in mind where you want to make a certain amount? Is this just something that you do as kind of like an aside from your nine to five as, you know, um, you know, almost like you would play a sport? Like, how do you kind of like view it for yourself? Yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's my life. Cause I, I went all in, in 2019 and I, wow. Worked, yeah, I've worked a variety of you know jobs after graduation that were just unfulfilling, unsatisfying. Uh, and I was very fortunate, you know, that I was able to sort of learn on the clock before, you know, like like during this time that I was able to learn, like, okay, 
This is how to read charts. This is kind of how you make trades. And I was, I started out paper trading and mm -hmm. I had a, I got, I got really good actually, like just paper trading. Yep. And I realized I'm like, oh, I can do this. So yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's life. It's my life for now, at least. I think one day, uh, you know, crypto is going to stabilize and it's become more like stocks and commodities. There's not going to be insane pump and dumps like there is now. Yep. Unfortunately, the wild west will one day be tamed of crypto and <laughs> You know, but until then, I'm going to be doing this. I want to someday I want to be doing other business ventures. You know, I want to I, I have some entrepreneurial ideas, you know, outside of crypto. I like to pursue, hmm. you know, maybe some in crypto. I'm not sure about them. Uh, but in one way or another, I'll always be involved in the market. You know, like yeah. I'll, I'll always be like trading or I plan on I plan on actually earning a massive amount of passive income. Like I, I, I I'm hoping that I can you know, make good enough uh, decisions with my stakes that I am able to just basically set up generational wealth doing that. That's, that's yeah. the goal. That, that would be, I look, that's an amazing goal. I, I hope you get there. That's, Thank you. um, that, that's something that I think a lot of people are also looking at in terms of like, they, they've changed their mindset because of the environment that we've lived through over the last 18 months. Um, you know, what that future looks like. I think a lot of people are, regardless of whatever their, you know, money target is that they're looking to hit, I think a lot of people are reevaluating, okay, if I had this, um, this much put away and I made, you know, whatever, 6% on it or 7% on it pretty routinely, could I live the rest of my life, be happy and um, not necessarily, you know, be a part of the rat race or go do something that I actually want to do as opposed to something I feel like I have to do, right? Um, and so I, I think that's fantastic. I, I think that's a, a great uh, mindset shift for people. And again, it's it's like a, it's a massive red pill, if not a white pill for people, because they are really starting to do the head work that they kind of like were complacent about in the past, you know? Um, and, and I love the fact that you're doing that head work at 25. I wish I was... 15 years younger <laughs> and doing that head work uh, right now as opposed to sitting at the uh, almost ripe old age of 40 in about a month here. But um, look, I, I I love the fact that you're kind of like in there in the mix. I mean, is it do, do you typically have giant price swings or are you keeping really tight stops so that if things move against you, you're pretty much out quickly? Yeah, I, I'm a, a fan of doing tight stops. I'm a very big fan of that. You know, because even if you get, you know, like I like just as price moves up, I like to move my stops up gradually with it. You know, I kind yeah. of like to I like to find an area where, you know, like it's below support. I'm like, OK, if we go down to this area, like say on the chart, like, for example, like we're between the uh, like the not like the 21 and the 89 EMA lines, which are, you know, I like to use 21, 89 and 200 EMA lines. If anybody mm -hmm. you know wants to do their own TA, but like I'll use those and I'll just sort of. Just figure out like okay like based on previous price action and you know using these moving averages you know like what what's a good place to sort of like place a stop you know when i first enter like how much like what's a good area here like is this a good area to enter then mm -hmm. as it moves in the direction i want it to i move my stop accordingly and then if it you know goes down you know to a certain point all right i'm out and then i just wait and see how it develops and you know that that kind of can screw you out of catching bigger moves sometimes that are more volatile you know, yeah. that's fine, but that's fine with me because I have enough holdings and projects that are 
you know, in my opinion, solid that if the market does, you know, move and moves without me, I'm going to at least be up that way. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. and so, I, I, I prefer that. So it sounds like you do kind of have like a core holding that's also kind of like working for you, even if you're not in a, a short term position. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I have, I have several tokens that I hold that I have very strong belief in going forward. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I think, uh, a lot of people get into trading um, with this complete all or nothing mentality, which is, you know, I think it's inherently flawed um, because, again, like, you know, like you said, like you could get whipsawed a lot or, or, you know, just something kind of like shits the bed and, you know, now you're now you're sunk or, or you're trying to play get, catch up to even, um, which makes you even make even worse mistakes. Having that core that you're trading around is a good home base where it's like, all right, no matter what, even if everything evaporates, I have that. Right. right. Um, what 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 platform are you typically using? Are you using something like a Binance or do you have something that is a little bit more sophisticated? I was using Binance uh, for a very long time. Just, you know, I, I use a hardware wallet, you know, where that's where I, I send everything off of and I, mm -hmm. I hold it there. And because, you know, we all were talking earlier about, you know, not using, you know, holding, sorry, not keeping your tokens on exchange, which apps you don't you should not do unless you're actively trading, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And even then, like I. Even on Binance, which you know, which I'm not using anymore, uh, because mm. they are uh, they're limiting the amount that you can withdraw daily. And yep. I, as a full time trader, I I don't like having uh, my limits reduced because you know I so I've I've gone over to KuCoin. That's where uh, that's where I am kind of at now. I, I I'm still using Binance because I actually am not like gonna get kicked off uh, like my limits for another two weeks or so. Yeah, uh, but. You know, I, I'm I'm getting ready to migrate over there, and uh, it was frustrating because I was actually about to like hop over to FTX, which is another leading exchange, but they're doing the same thing Binance is doing, and uh, my account was, you know, even though it was it was older and it was fine to trade with at the time, I I learned uh, actually from our mutual friend James that he because I I recommended to him to go create an account there, you know, to start using trading for his bots because, you know, Binance was about to. You know, make it know your customer for mm -hmm. bot trading, even for uh, using APIs. And he informed me that it's like, oh, hey, like they're doing this here too. And I was like, oh, shit. So KuCoin's where I am now. That's where I recommend. If anybody's interested in trading, uh, use KuCoin because they don't require, you know, know your customer KYC requirements uh, for trading there. Uh, that's, yeah. what, that's what I like. Yeah, that was, that was a big, uh, that was a big deal for, um, like Coinbase and some of the bigger exchanges because they were really trying to court um, not necessarily the, the folks like you and I that are uh, interested in kind of that transaction without that whole like, you know, regulatory process or, or you know, the, the so quote unquote, you know, paper trail or whatever that goes with it. Um, and so, you know, as they got bigger, Obviously, they got on the radar of the regulators, and the red regulators um, kind of like put the screws to them, and they they caved pretty quickly because there was a lot of money at stake. Um, but yeah, I, I I that's one thing about the world of crypto is when something like that happens, where you know a platform gets big, and all of a sudden they you know don't follow um, not that Coinbase or, or Binance ever kind of communicated this. But if they stop following those kind of like, you know, philosophical reasons or how they operate or, or whatever their kind of like core reasons are, um, if they deviate from that, 
Like it's it is literally the Wild West. Like something else will come up to replace it that is now a place to go that will now allow you to recapture what you lost with this other place, kind of like shifting gears, um, which which I really appreciate. Um, what what is some like how did you learn technical analysis? Is there a resource or um, you know like a, a some some kind of uh, educational channel online that you follow? Where did you really kind of pull that expertise from? Yeah, I learned everything from following a bunch of guys on Twitter that were way smarter than me and still are smarter than me. Uh, okay. Yeah, like they, you know, and a lot of them as they get their accounts have gotten bigger, they've stopped posting TA as much. So unfortunately, they're not as good education resources uh, as much as they are sort of now, you know, like just general sentiment and, you know, like shit posting, uh, fun shit posting at least. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's, what, that's where I learned was from that and also just my own trial and error, like applying the patterns that I learned from them and just using basic, you know, like Investopedia has a whole, you know, they have a whole section on TA, just like random websites, uh, just random YouTube videos. It was, it was, I was very much a self-taught trader and I still am. Like I, I, I really, it's funny because I, if you look at my uh, bio on my, uh, my Twitter handle, I, it says I got a D minus in finance on my second try. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. Uh, yeah. I, I did. Uh, it, well, okay. It's, it's an exaggeration. I got a D because my university didn't have the minus and plus. No system. minuses. Yeah. But if, but if they did, it would have been a D minus. Yeah. You, you got the 60. You, you, you. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and that was the last class. I, it was my last, it was my senior semester and I needed to pat, like at least get a D to walk the stage and graduate on time. And yep. I, it was a miracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I think that also goes to show how uh, you can be successful in an area, even if I mean, my my you know our very first episode on this show was a was about like homeschooling and getting kids away from this kind of like traditional educational model, um, and I think that just kind of goes to show how you know like what's accepted as convention in terms of like whether you got a good grade in this in this subject or whatever ultimately determines whether you're going to be successful in something like it or something related to it isn't necessarily like a one for one it's not a foregone conclusion um and so you know technical analysis is it's not um you know to to get all all nerdy on trading it's not like black shoals equations or or you know it's it's not like um you know worrying about um you know essentially like uh, you know bollinger banded trading or anything like that it's you you're sitting there and looking at formation shapes right so right uh, i would imagine maybe you were probably better at geometry <laughs> than yeah. maybe finance you know like especially if you're a visual person right like people a lot of times don't get finance because it's numbers it's it's uh symbology and and more numeric whereas like someone might be much more akin to being able to you know identify shapes or formations or, or tendencies and, and trends visually than just staring at like a block of numbers. Do you, do you kind of like slant in, in that direction? Oh, 100%. I am terrible at math. I, yeah. I, I suck at math. I'm, I'm one of the worst people at mathematics in the world, but I am very visual. Like from an early age, I remember this, like every like state test that I would take or, you know, like my report or whatever for mathematics, I always tested in like the top like percentile for graphs and charts yeah like even from a young age like when i really was a poor when i was a poor student like when i didn't care about school 
even then I was just kicking ass at that. Like everything yeah. else was awful, but that area was just like, I was in like the top like percentile, like for some yeah. reason that was just, which I think plays into, you know, sort of my, my quote unquote luck with things. It's just, I, I'm, I'm just a very visual person and I'm, I'm, Look, I'm lucky that way. I, it, it sounds, it sounds not too good to be true. It, it sounds unbelievable, but there are some people that are just natural traders. It, it doesn't like, you know, coming from someone who sat in a room with, you know, 40 mostly male, like, you know, testosterone upped guys who, you know, thought that they were going to make millions and millions, like only a handful of them were successful and maybe only one of them was wildly successful. But there was just something about like, I, I know you've you've used the word luck, but quite frankly, like there are just some people that um, defy statistical luck. And a lot of it has to do with it's either intuition or there's all, also a lot of nerve that that goes into it. I mean, it takes some balls to pull the trigger on something, um, especially if you're doing te technical analysis and it's just like, okay, well, this looks like the way it's setting up. So I'm going to go with my gut and I'm going to just, you know, pull the trigger on what I expect to happen because that's what it feels like it's going to do. Um, it's much different and, and seems counterintuitive to people, but it is much different than someone just throwing darts at a dartboard. Like there is something there. Like, I mean, can you kind of feel it? Like, is there like an ethereal kind of like, you know, like Quan that you, you kind of like, uh, feel when you're trading? Yeah. It, it's something I, I, I can't really describe. It's a, it really is like a gut feeling when I'm yeah. looking at a chart. It's like, I just, for whatever reason can sort of just deduce that, you know, like that's like, it's where I want, like, it's a good entry or, you know, and also like a lot of it too, is just watching, like the big thing was like sort of just figuring out the patterns to like, you know, the probabilities behind the patterns. Like, okay. Like, is this likely to play out? Like, for example, like a falling wedge, you know, like it's a very basic TA pattern. If you can identify it, like, okay, like basically 80, 85% of the time, that's going to at least result in a bounce of some kind. So if you can just find the patterns and play the probabilities with tight stops, you, you can be profitable. You know, you may not be super profitable, but you can, if, as long as you deploy like good risk management, you're fine, you know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, a lot of it is just my gut feeling like, yeah, it's, like it, combined with TA. It is, um, again, if, if you don't have it, you don't get it. Like, it's almost like someone who, um, wait, were you, I'm like, I guess you're a, a, a ice hockey fan. Um, yeah. I, were you a sports guy in, in high school and college? No, uh, this is okay. actually the fun, the fun, funny part is I was a fat kid, uh, up until like halfway through high school and that's All right. finally when I became athletic. So I spent a majority of my youth and I think this also plays sort of into my skills was playing video games. Mm. It was, I was, I grew up staring at a screen and you know, a lot of, you know, it was, it was mostly shooters really, but I think for like somehow, like some way that gaming skill, that nerve, I think that kind of, that, that kind of helped me develop into the trader I am today, you mm -hmm. know, cause if it's kind of like trading to me, especially TA, whenever you're looking at the chart, it's almost like a platformer in a sense. It's like, you're kind of like, you're watching like this game play out in front of you of patterns and you're trying to figure out like what's coming next. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the way I view it naturally is just, is that way. Yeah. You yeah. Know? No, that that's, um, 
I, I feel you like that's uh, I, I played sports in 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 high school and, and a little bit in college, but really like the bulk of my time was, you know, playing video games or, or just futzing around with a computer. Right. Like um, I, I was probably and you were probably of this mindset, too, like I wasn't afraid to break it. Right. So my my whole thing was like, OK, I'm just going to screw around with it and see what it does. And then, you know, if I can make it do something new, fantastic. I'll just remember that, right? And then yeah. move on and screw it around with it and screw around with it a different way and see what it does then, right? Um, and so, yeah, a lot of that has helped me technologically because there are certain of my peers that are only slightly older than me that are way lower in terms of that um, technological adoption curve. And it's because of that almost generational dynamic. And a lot of it has to do with timing. I mean, like, you know, uh, some of the first generations of computers were basically when I was coming through elementary school. So, you know, that that also kind of helped. But um, yeah, there's something behind that. There's, um, and again, there's a lot of naysayers out there, or a lot of trolls that'll be like, ah, like gaming nerds, whatever, right? Like, but no, there's something to it. Like there, there's something in that pattern recognition. And it's also, it could be the games that you played that primed you for this versus, you know, if you were playing something completely different and, and you know, maybe you, you weren't training your brain in the same way, you know. Right. Um, what, what, what were your games of uh, preference when you were younger? Well, I grew up mostly playing Halo and Call of Duty. You know, I'm kind okay. of, you know, just a dumb console kid like that. But I also had a love for RTS games. So Command and Conquer and Age of Empires, I played heavily. And the game I played the most was... Uh, Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds, which is just a clone of Age of Empires 2. Uh, mm -hmm. Man, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole of nerdism here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that kind of plays into it, too, is sort of like, you know, you're man like you have to manage this base you're building up. It's like almost like you're managing a position that you're building up. You have to defend it against people that are trying to come and take it from you. And you have to yep. sort of like, like, man like manage all these different things that are moving around at once. You know, and the, at the same time, you have to have this grand strategy to it. You yeah. know, and, you have, and you have you're to be reactive. And you're anticipating contingencies too, right? Yes. Like you, you're, you're Very trying to think multiple steps ahead. I mean, it's almost like playing, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a blinky light version of playing chess in a way. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, when, when I was younger, we didn't necessarily have that. We had uh, Stratego, <laughs> which is more oh, of a yeah. board game. You I know? love Stratego too. Yeah, Stratego or Risk. I mean, like Risk is also the, the example of it, you know. Um, but then there's all the memes of like people playing Monopoly and playing Risk, and like you know, five hours into it, someone flips the board. And like, F this, I'm done, right? Like, <laughs> this is taking too long, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, all right, cool. I look, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, we're we're running up on three hours here. Um, I want to make sure if anyone wants to connect to you, uh, what what is your at on Twitter? Yeah, my at is at Pavel Chadsuk. Uh, the, the chat is all caps, but it's, you know, it's, you know, P-A-V-E-L-C-H-A-D-S-Y-U-K at Pavel Chadsuk on Twitter. Uh, I'm just really I'm just a shit poster most of the time. I don't I don't even post charts. I, I don't really give much of a, uh, a head a heady opinion on things. It's just kind of me reacting and just sharing dumb memes. Yeah, you know, but if if you want to reach out to me, if you want to DM me, if you want to ask any questions about crypto, about trading, just please like go ahead, just slide into my DMs, and I'll answer any questions you have to the best of my ability. I, I I'm very passionate about helping people learn about crypto, get involved in crypto, 
and just make the right decisions because I made so many boneheaded mistakes in my first year, you know, and especially also my first like just year in crypto and my first year, even to this day in trading, I make stupid mistakes, you know, and I want I want to help others avoid that. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, look, thank you very much for coming on. I know, uh, uh, you know, it might be getting a little later for you. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I actually something I didn't ask you was so typically the spikes that I see on crypto a lot of times happen overnight. Are you a night owl in terms of your yes. trading? Or are you setting it up during the day? Yeah, I actually do most of my trading at night, you know, depending on the conditions. But usually if the the joke is that Asia likes to dump on us and they do, mm-hmm. you know, like so the best setups tend to come later in the evening. And then I, I usually stay up into the European session to sort of see like, OK, like what's happening with the markets here? Like what direction are we going? Like how because like the farther west you move, like it's like it seems that for whatever reason, you know, like we like to pr- like pump the price up and get all bullish. And then, you know, Asia dunks on us because it, it really is an Asia, Asian uh, dominated market because they're just yeah. technology is kind of more of a thing over there than here. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, no, it's um, I, I always notice that. So that's interesting. So, yeah, uh, if you are a night owl <laughs> and, and you have the uh, you don't have the risk aversion, um, you could definitely get involved in and in, uh, make a name for yourself or at least make some make some crypto and make some bucks. So that's good. Um, look, uh, everyone who made it this far. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, throw the video a like, share, uh, retweet, make sure to sub. And uh, look, we'll be back next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, have a really good evening, Pablo. I, I, go, go trade. Go make some money. <laughs> I will. Thanks yeah. for having me on, Matt. Have a good one. Thank you.